Pastor John. Good morning, everyone. It's a great pleasure to be here. A great challenge to follow Pastor MacArthur. But I think we all appreciate what he has done and uh, the way he has nourished a lot of us. So it is um, through a debt of gratitude that I'm here this morning. First of all, I would like to uh, thank Pastor MacArthur and Pastor Tadlock for the invitation to this timely and very um, monumental event. I think people in the evangelical world will be uh, speaking for many years to come about what will take place this week on this summit on the inerrancy of the Bible. Vital doctrines are being discussed during these days by people more learned than I am and better known than I can possibly be. So to borrow from the Apostle Paul, I consider myself the least of the teachers during this week, but uh, I realize that I don't, I'm not fit to be here, but by the grace of God, here I am. So thank you, uh, Pastor Tadlock and your staff for this uh, undeserved uh, invitation. Before we go on, let me uh, pause and uh, consider a text that I will be developing Wednesday on my second talk of the week, but I want to make one observation uh, about that text before we continue this morning. And that's the text out of uh, Matthew 28. You know that text is at the very end, and I'm reading uh, from verse 18 down. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My focus this morning is on the global south, and notice how this text doesn't provide two different ways of evangelizing or two different standards of truth, but rather one single command. So we can easily conclude that whatever is important in one hemisphere, it was going to be important in the other hemisphere. And with that, let us just pray briefly. Father, I stand before you this morning, humbled by the weight of your truth. I ask you that you would guide your servant through the exposition of this message to the honor and glory of your Son. Glorify yourself at this hour. For it is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. When I was asked to speak about revelation and authority in the global south, I wrote back immediately to Pastor Tadlock and I asked if I could add a word to my title. And that word was worldviews. And he very kindly agreed almost immediately. So this morning I'm speaking to you about revelation authority, and worldviews in the global south. The reality is that every person reading the Bible for the first time is doing so with a set of presupposition. He has a worldview in place already through which he's reading. So we begin that reading with that group of values and assumptions that we have gathered together 
that have been passed on to us by the culture in which we grew up and by our parents and family members and books, writers, and movies, and many other sources of information. Now, the problem is complex because worldviews are closely related to the emotions of the heart, and therefore people are frequently making judgments on the Bible with those faulty emotions. Our assumptions are flawed, or our worldviews are flawed, precisely because our assumptions are flawed. Let us remember that Adam, without a sinful nature, in a perfect garden, in a perfect world, eventually arrived to a wrong conclusion about God's revelation. And if that was him under those conditions, imagine what we are all capable of doing with the truth of God. We are totally dependent upon God's revelation uh, to interpret life and the world around us. And that is precisely what the biblical worldview is about. When it comes to revelation and authority, we either start with God or we start with man. There is no in-between. Either God says something and that becomes the final word or man's word will be the final one. Understanding what worldviews are and how they work help us to comprehend where the different opinions about God's revelation come from. And in a short version, a worldview is a set of belief through which people see life and react to life or to the reality around him. The worldview in the global south is not the same as in the global north as it has been called. In the West, ever since the Enlightenment, people, including Christians, learned to separate the natural from the supernatural. So we ended up with a split-level Christianity, unfortunately, to the point that, according to the authors of this book, Understanding Folk Religion, most missionaries taught Christianity as the answer to the ultimate and eternal questions of life, and science based on reason as the answer to the problems of this world. The deist went one step further, teaching that God, the Creator, did not remain in contact with His creation, but rather He abandoned our world to function according to the laws of nature. For the deist, there is no supernatural special revelation from God, and that is a belief that he shares with the atheist. For the theist, there is a God, but there is no revelation from above. For the atheist, there is no God, and therefore there is no revelation from that God. For that deist, man, or rather God, may be imminent, or rather transcendent, but not imminent. God may be high and lifted up, but he's not dwelling with the one who is contrite and lowly in his spirit, as we are told in the scripture. Now, in the West, the main problem has been liberalism or apostasy. The chipping away from God's revelation until we found the ultimate expression of that in Rodolf Budman, who wanted to strip away from the Bible all the supernatural elements. In the global south, that has not been the problem. Our main problem has not been apostasy, but heresy the adding on to God's revelation 
through the years. So many of these additions to biblical content have come to us through mystical experiences such as visions and dreams. Rationalism says man has the authority to delete from God's revelation. Mysticism says man has the authority to add to God's revelation. Rationalism is the north. Mysticism is the global south. In the global north or the west, the rationalist worldview is modernity. In the global south, the prevailing worldview is animism. And the reality is that man sins, and after he sins, he builds up a worldview, he embraces a worldview that would justify his sin. And when that worldly worldview clashes with Christianity, there is a, there is a collision. An orthodox biblical Christianity has been altered at different moments as the result of that clash between modernity in the north and animism in the south. In many parts of the global south, the question has been on the finality of the canon, which questioned the authority of the scriptures that we already have. To understand our region, one needs to know that the global south did not live through the Reformation period, neither is the child of the Enlightenment. One Sugmad, the executive director for the Oxford Center for Mission Studies, says about the continent of Asia, no matter how modern a society may look, basically Asian minds are animistic in orientation. Another author insightfully noticed, most non-Westerners possess a supernaturalistic worldview which even a modern Western scientific education cannot easily eradicate. It is so much part and parcel of their cultural background. For those of us who are less familiar with animism, let me briefly uh, describe to you how animism has been explained. It is the belief that personal spiritual beings and impersonal spiritual forces have power over human affairs and that humans consequently must discover what beings and forces are impacting them in order to determine future action and frequently to manipulate their power. Many studies have shown that most of the world's unrich people are animistic. Among the 88% of those classified as unrich people at the turn of the century, it was estimated that 135 million were tribal animists and 1.9 billion were involved in world religion based in animism. The unrich world as a whole is animistic at its base. And that information is vital if we are going to understand the importance of revelation and authority in the global south. Among other things, animists believe that all illnesses are caused by evil spirits. And it is amazing to see how Christians who have converted, who have come from that background, continue to believe the same thing to the point that drives them to rebuke these demons continuously out of those people who are sick with different kinds of medical illnesses. I think this one illustration shows how important is the teaching of the biblical doctrine of revelation and authority in the global south. If the old worldview 
is not completely replaced with the biblical worldview, many beliefs and practices will only be modified, but they will not be eradicated. The animists, the converted animists, he has stopped believing the lies communicated by these evil spirits. But now, as a brand new Christian, he frequently believes that God is still speaking to us through angels, Christ's apparitions, dreams, visions, and all kinds of mystical experiences, and they continue to add to biblical revelation those things of lies, of knowledge, understandings that they receive through these experiences. Quite frequently, whatever they end up believing is completely contradictory with the Word of God. And many of these mystical experiences become part of the norm of their worship services, the prayer gatherings, the revival meetings. And many times we're only dealing with syncretistic beliefs that have resulted from the clash between the old and the new. The old worldview of animism with the new biblical worldview. This is the way many of them try or have tried to Christianize their previous belief and practices. Those of us who live there, we can testify how many evangelical superstitions there are in the global south. So divine revelation in our part of the world is not denied, but is rather supplemented through these experiences. And therefore, for those of us who work there, the challenge is not to persuade people that there is a revelation from God. The challenge is to persuade people that this revelation is the final and complete revelation from the one God they now believe in. This persistent revelation from above is one good explanation of why people in the global south could uphold beliefs that are so contradictory to the word that they understand came from God. The law of no contradiction is foreign to them. And partly the reason is that the church in the global south has not been as well trained as the church was in Europe at one point and North America in a different point. Many leaders in our region have been appointed at a time of need or at a time of crisis. Someone needed to get to the pulpit and fill the vacuum that was left by the last pastor who left the congregations. Others have left churches that, in the first place, were never trained in biblical doctrine. Emilio Nunez is not related to me but has the same last name, asked the question in his book, Crisis in Latin America. Who is responsible for the lack of biblical teaching among Latin American evangelicals? Is the answer. All who have exercised leadership, pioneer missionaries who emphasize, whose emphasis was solely evangelistic, current expatriate and national leaders who advance serious Bible study and teaching, Theological institutions that produce leaders unprepared to meet the deeper needs of the churches and Christian publishers who push translated bestsellers. The doctrine of revelation and authority and the belief in a complete canon are fundamental in a land inundated with false apostles 
and false teachers. These new leaders can easily say, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord have not spoken. We have heard it. We have seen it. Multiple times. People who speak that way, they do not have, they do not believe in a complete canon. They do not have a high view of, of the scriptures. And obviously they cannot have a high view of the revealer, meaning God. Any biblical theology begins with revelation. And revelation has been defined by at least one author as the disclosure by God of truth at which people couldn't arrive without divine initiative and enabling. In this sense, God is the giver, we are the receivers. Nothing about God can be known apart from revelation. Revelation is a gift from God, and we should, be all, we should all be thankful for it. If there were no revelation, they wouldn't, we wouldn't have any Bibles. For that matter, we, there wouldn't be any true theologian, and obviously this conference wouldn't be taking place. Now think for a moment. If God gave us a faulty revelation, he would have set us up for the development of a faulty, faulty theology. But that's not the character, that is not consistent with the character that has been revealed in the Bible. We know that God reveals himself in the Bible because he said so, and there is no higher authority in the Bible, in the Word, in the universe, than God. Revelation is the cornerstone of biblical theology. And it is, this is as much true in the north as it is in the south. It is in this context that the doctrines of revelation, authority, inspiration, and inerrancy are so vital to the health of the church. Some have said that we do not need the doctrine of inerrancy in the global south because we could go on with our mission without such a controversial topic. And that might be true at the pragmatic level, but when inerrancy goes, the confidence in the authority of the scriptures goes with it. And when that goes, then we start to question the revelation itself. A solid doctrine of the revelation and authority of the scriptures is sorely needed in the global south. We must train leaders, and I'm so glad for the work of TMAI. We must train leaders in that global south if we want to seriously contribute to the Great Commission and to the development of healthy churches. That is a must. Now, all of that was about revelation and worldviews. What about, in the time that I have left, what about authority, the authority of that revelation? Well, that authority has been diminished. It has been diminished in both the Catholic as the evangelical circles in many different ways. And one of those ways has been the constant flow of new doctrinal revelations from above, which many believe even after being converted when they have come from an animistic uh, background. When it comes to revelation and authority, there are two fundamental questions that we need to ask regardless of where one is located. Number one, did God reveal himself in the Bible? And number two, if he did, what did he say? If God the creator revealed himself in the Bible, and we know he did, 
than whatever he said about anything that he expressed his opinion. His opinion must be the final word. The creature is no match for the creator. And this is the way God put it in the book of Job. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And I think that's a good question for the fault finders of our days. Should we contend with God? That authority, that revelation, as I said already, has been compromised in the evangelical circles as well as, 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 well as in the Catholic Church. It's, uh, let me read to you point number f- 95, point 95 of the Catholic Catechism to see how they understand authority, which is what I am focusing on now for that part of the world where so many Catholics be, uh, reside. It is clear, therefore, that in the supremely wise arrangement of God, sacred tradition, sacred scripture, and the magisterium of the church are so connected and associated that one of them cannot stand without the others, working together each in his own way under the action of the one Holy Spirit, they all contribute effectively to the salvation of souls. Can you imagine? In the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic authorities developed the idea that only the Catholic Church was able to interpret the Bible. And they became the ultimate authority. The Church became the ultimate authority, not the Bible. Because the Bible or the text of the Bibles could mean anything that the Church would make it to mean. And things have not changed much since, according to the text that I just read to you. Sacred tradition, sacred scripture, and the magisterium of the church are so connected and associated that one of them cannot stand without the other. That's the teaching of the church today. Imagine with that understanding, you could take any tradition and justify any practice within the church. And to them, we need to read Mark 7, 13, which contains the words of Christ where he said, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. We do not need to go any further to understand the importance of the doctrine of revelation and authority in the Catholic Global South to contradict or to counteract this powerful influence from the church which is 500 years old at this point. In the secular world, the ultimate authority lies on human reason. In the Catholic global south, the ultimate authority lies on the church, or, or you could say in the reasoning of the church. If there was one thing that the reformers did well was replacing the interpretation of the scriptures by the church acknowledging that that was the role of the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you the words of J.I. Packer in his book, Engaging the Written Word of God, and he says this, The self-sufficiency of Scripture was also recognized, and the Bible was set up by the Reformers according to its own demand as judge of those traditions which had previously been supposed to supplement The authority of the Bible is intrinsically linked to the source, to God. A God who is 
truthful, omnipotent, just, holy, sovereign, immutable, who cannot lie, who controls everything, and who desires to be known, the result of that God, or the revelation of that God, must be infallible, must be inerrant. And such a revelation is authoritative, completely authoritative, not only because it is infallible, but because it comes from God. There is no higher authority in the entire universe other than God. The reason why this Bible is self-authenticated is precisely because there is no higher judge to critique, condemn, correct, alter God. Obeying and disobeying the Bible means obeying and disobeying God himself. And that understanding is vital every place, but especially in the global south. The Latin American worldview, let me tell you a little bit about the area where we are ministering right now is Latin America. The Latin American worldview is a syncretism between the animistic view of the world, the Catholic view of the world and life, and the modern worldview rather than the postmodern. Postmodernism is not quite there yet, and that's a good thing. Having said that, let me show you quickly how it plays out, this concept of authority in the global south. For the animistic, the, for the animistic person, evil spirits have power and they have authority. And you need to learn to control them. For the Catholics, that authority, when it comes to spiritual matters, is shared. It's shared between the Word and the Church. For the modernist, rather than the postmodernist, that authority is in science. Science has the authority. Now, what about the evangelicals? Hmm. The evangelicals believe that the Bible has the supreme authority. And in general, at one level, that is true. Most evangelicals in our nations are believe that the Bible is the supreme authority. Indeed, Philip Jenkins, in his book about what's going on now in the global south, speaks of the south as conservative and even fundamentalist. And at one level, that might be true. Now, unfortunately, many of those who would affirm that the Bible is supreme authority in, when it comes to spiritual matters or any other matters that the Bible speaks about, at the same time would go on to believe all kinds of supernatural new revelations, especially brought in by the last prophet or apostle that visited their congregations. Now, populations used to dictatorial regimes, like the ones we have had through the years, can easily be convinced to, to be submissive or to submit to the authority of a very imposing, charismatic personality, and that's precisely what we have seen many, many times. In our area, in the past, totalitarian governments maintained their, hege their hegemony over the populations by keeping them in ignorance, and that's a lot of what we have seen with false teachers. They have kept their congregation in biblical ignorance, and therefore they have been able to sell to their sheep all kinds of lies not supported, not endorsed by the Bible. And rather they have made them depend upon experiences, new revelations, 
and the latest fad coming their way. The name it and claim it heresy can only grow, can only prosper on the soil of biblical ignorance. Biblical ignorance. The same can be said about the signs and wonder movement, about the prosperity gospel, and so many others that are so prevalent in our region. If the doctrine of revelation, inspiration, authority, and inerrancy are not world-grounded, all of these movements are bound to happen. Let's listen to the words of uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a very well-known preacher um, of the recent past. There can be no doubt whatsoever that all the troubles in the church today and most of the troubles in the world are due to a departure from the authority of the Bible. Now, knowing that, we most, I want to stress the need for biblical education in the global south, not only in the churches, but also in, in, in training centers and seminaries and uh, places like TMI, TMAI, Whatever they are doing that we heard of, that's the kind of teaching we need. And I think in the meantime, the best way to start is through the expositional preaching of the Word. And the expositional preaching is paramount for two reasons. Number one, it avoids or it protects from wrong interpretations and applications of the biblical text. And secondly, at least in Latin America, expositional preaching is the missing jewel in the pulpits. Most Latin America is, or most Latin Americans, if I could say it, are Pentecostals. And this tradition has not been well recognized for the emphasis on expositional preaching. Let me quote to you once again from Emilio Nunez in his book, Latin America in Crisis. There are notable Pentecostal shortcomings, some of which the Pentecostal themselves acknowledge. A serious lack of trained leadership the problem of numerical growth without biblical training and discipleship, the tendency to center power in authoritarian leaders, artificial spirituality, lively but routine liturgy, and a spirit of legalism in the Christian life. I do not know any better way to address all of those maladies of the church than through the expositional preaching. The lack of training alluded to is responsible for preaching that is rather thematic, pragmatic, non-doctrinal, anthropocentric, and prosperity-oriented. That kind of preaching lacks the power to transform the person, and perhaps that's part of the reason why we haven't seen uh, that much change in our nations, despite the fact that the number of evangelicals uh, through the years keep climbing according to the statistics. The reality is that the more the preacher realizes that his influence of his authority is not in his own word, but rather in the word of God, the more confident he will be at the time that he is at the pulpit. We must rely on the authority of that inerrant word of God that we have been speaking about. When we don't have that confidence, we will lack the power. When we will lack the power, the tendency is to manipulate the emotions. And recurring new extra-biblical revelations in the lips of a charismatic personality or a powerful personality and in the ears of a very emotional audience 
is uh, the ideal tool to create such environment. So the principle of sola, sola scriptura must become the battle cry of the Latin American Reformation. This single principle would eliminate doctrinal teaching that is outside the Bible. It would silence the mouth of, the, uh, of those who flippantly say, thus saith the Lord. Sola scriptura would bankrupt this prosperity gospel. Sola scriptura would, um, would take away the authority of the name it and claim it heresy. And sola scriptura would leave behind the tradition they are so entrenched in Catholicism. Sola Scriptura, among other things, will imply that the Bible is sufficient and is also the highest authority um, for those who believe it. Sola Scriptura alone, Scripture alone, is therefore um, inherently infallible and inherently powerful. There is no power and error of which the Bible has none. Sola Scriptura is universal because Sola Scriptura is about the truth of God. And God is universal and truth is always universal universal, so that um, whatever is true in the north, it is also true in the south. The Bible carries the same weight in one hemisphere as it does in the other hemisphere. The Bible is the final authority, the final authoritative standard, and is the standard that must be interpreted and proclaimed by the church. Sola Scriptura protects the revelation of God, the glory of God, the people of God. And that's why it's so important. When we don't have confidence in Sola Scriptura, we are always looking for the next something to be able to move the hearts and the minds of the people. And in the North, quite frequently, that other something has been marketing techniques or the social sciences. But in the South, that other thing has been another new revelation to add on to what we already have in the Bible. The Global South needs a preacher who proclaims the same truth of 2,000 years ago. A preacher who does not depend on his experiences to speak, but on the Word of God. A preacher who is diligent, a diligent a student of the Word and of the um, things of God. Whose heart is, so, is more marked by the Bible than the Bible he uses when he's reading and he colors all the time. We the preachers of God's truth, we must bend our knees before him. We must bow our heads and pray and continue to do so until we find God's intended meaning for every verse that we are about to proclaim. The man of the hour must submit to the authority of the scriptures. Jesus did. Jesus did. To John the Baptist, Jesus said, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He was referring to the law and the previous revelation, the Old Testament revelation. In John 12, 49, we read that Christ cried out and said, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. To the devil, in one of his most critical moments of his life, he said, It is written, it is written, it is written. The devil submitted and left him. At the moment of his death, 
Christ was still quoting the scriptures. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He died, came back to life. And you know what? He was still quoting the scriptures. He met two guys on the road of Emmaus. And to them he said, Oh foolish one, I am slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. During his life, at his moment of death, after he resurrected, he was still quoting the scriptures. Dear brothers, I need to close. My time has been flying. Embrace and proclaim sola scriptura until you see the hearts of the people burning for his truth. This is the time of the global south. I am convinced of that. If you are there, if you are heading in that direction, please know that this is a monumental time in the history of the global south. The center of gravity has moved. The center of gravity for Christianity has moved, according to many. And now God seems to be moving and doing something very special. Seize the moment and rise to the occasion for the glory of God. Do it for the kingdom. Do it for the Son. Embrace the word. Let us be so transparent that Christ and his cross are seen through us every time we preach the word. Never be a veil between God and the audience, but rather be a window through which people can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Embrace the cross. Go forth. Be the man of the hour for the fame of of his name. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are a God that cannot be stopped. You are unstoppable. And there you are moving in the global south where millions of people are still without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that as we if we sit under these teachings during this week, that our hearts will burn with passion for your truth, that we would leave this conference more passionate than what we came in with, and that at the end, the people who hear the word from us will see you, will see you in all your glory, the way you have revealed yourself, and that we would be put aside for the honor and glory of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. That was an exceptional presentation to begin our day. Dr. Nunez has accurately diagnosed the condition of the church in the global south and also prescribed the right medicine, and that is the upholding of God's word and the authority of God himself. Thank you so much, Miguel. We appreciate your ministry. Well, we want to give you just a quick stretch break. Uh, take just 10 minutes. You can stand where you're at. Greet some of the folks around. If you need to use the restroom, do that. But we'll be back in just 10 minutes. Okay, thank you. <laughs>